Chapter Three of My Travels, a Family Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. My Travels, a Family Story by Maria Hackett. Chapter Three. Upon our arrival in Van Diemen's Land, we obtained a grant of land from the British government of one thousand acres the same amount of land was given to all who desired to avail themselves of it and the giving away of so much territory was intended to encourage emigration which at that time before the discovery of the gold fields needed all the encouragement it could get to those who understood the management of a farm this was a very valuable privilege as the soil was very fertile but my husband being a distiller and entirely unacquainted with farming sold his grant for about seventy-five cents an acre i may add here that the same grant was resold in eighteen forty one for ten thousand dollars our grief at having parted with it for a mere song was heartfelt the following description of the peculiarities and wonders of the country given after the lapse of fifty years may seem incredible and perhaps will be attributed to a desire to exaggerate or seen through a mist of half a century seemed to be more fanciful than real but i have no doubt that if i were to exaggerate or give a too highly colored description i would at once be contradicted as it is by no means an unknown country during a residence of thirteen years i never saw what could be called a really disagreeable day save perhaps a few days when the heat was rather oppressive and that at christmas time the months of november december and january were the summer months and the severest winter weather equaled the summer temperature of england without the excessive rains and fogs the fruits were of great variety and very plentiful peaches nectarines apricots pears apples plums mulberries raspberries in fact all the choicest fruits of the known world save lemons oranges and fruits belonging to very hot climates indian corn did not grow there but was brought from sydney a distance of six hundred miles diseases such as measles scarlet fever whooping cough and smallpox were utterly unknown and sickness of any kind was exceedingly rare the people living to a very old age the flowers and gardens were wonderful many extensive hedges were composed entirely of geraniums which grew to a height of six feet and had to be clipped very frequently gardens required but little attention and of course nearly every resident had a garden attached to his dwelling the forest trees were all evergreens which while presenting a beautiful appearance rendered them unfit for building and lumber had to be brought from north america any quantity of mana could be gathered from certain trees but this had to be done before sunrise as the sun melted it at once living was very cheap the price of a cow and calf was six dollars sheep by the hundred cost twenty five dollars and many settlers had as many as two thousand in a flock tea was twenty five cents a pound best white sugar six cents and flour eight dollars a barrel the labor was nearly all done by convicts as it was a great penal colony the government allotted to any resident as many prisoners as he wished to keep requiring that they be allowed at least ten and a half pounds of prime beef ten and a half pounds of flour one quarter pound of tea 
and one pound of sugar per week. Such was the discipline maintained that, though the prisoners were composed of the most desperate ruffians in the world, no scenes of violence were witnessed, and doors and windows were left open day and night, and no thefts occurred. My husband rented a distillery on the Derwent River, and his labor cost him very little, save the expense of keeping the prisoners, he for some years did a flourishing business. Whiskey was made out of sugar, which was very cheap, and mixed with malt made an excellent article of spirits. The aborigines long before our visit had been driven or hunted away from the white settlements, and were generally shot on sight, as they had a rather unpleasant habit of spearing white people whenever they had a chance. The government did all in its power to colonize them, and tried every plan to civilize them. They sent as many of them as they could catch to a place called Maria Island, provided for them houses, schools, teachers, doctors, clothing, and everything to make them comfortable. But the result was that the schools and houses remained unoccupied and the natives died. This may seem very ungrateful on the part of the natives, but it practically settled the Indian question of that day and saved an immense amount of trouble. I once saw a shipload of them about to start for Maria Island. They were of copper color, the men very tall, and the women very short, and both men and women extremely repulsive-looking. Game was abundant on Van Diemen's land. Hunting the kangaroo was a favorite amusement with Europeans. There is no necessity for describing this well-known animal, but there were species of rats and mice known as the kangaroos, very much the same but on a smaller scale that I never have seen in any other part of the world. Colonel George Arthur was governor when we arrived. His salary was 7,000 pounds per annum, and he was allowed an elegant residence and any number of servants, and a farm of 100 acres was kept in the highest style of cultivation at government expense for his use. He was a man of great excellence and made it an imperative rule that any officer guilty of immoral conduct should be immediately dismissed from the service. He was afterwards appointed Governor-General of Canada, and his departure was greatly regretted. Our next governor was Sir John Franklin, the world-renowned Arctic explorer. He was then about sixty years of age, of low stature and quite stout. His wife was a beautiful woman, many years his junior, being only twenty-six. She was a lady of great courage and determination, as later events have proved. She was the first white woman who ever traveled from Melbourne to Sydney, and she was also the first woman to ascend Mount Wellington, which was an undertaking almost equal to the ascent of Mont Blanc. Wearing out several pairs of boots in the journey and occupying one week in doing it, Sir John inaugurated his new office by giving a series of balls to which my husband and I had the honor of being invited. No possible expense was spared in these entertainments, and I have never since seen anything that could approach them in magnificence. Lady Franklin and I became quite intimate, and I afterwards renewed my acquaintance with her when she was in New York, on some business connected with an expedition for the recovery of the remains of her husband at the North Pole. I have now a very kind letter from her, written previous to her departure from New York, in which she speaks of happier times. My husband became a great friend of Sir John's, and the recollection of the kindness of this truly noble family to us is very dear. I much regret to say 
that the friendship was abruptly ended many years ago on account of a grievous wrong perpetrated by the british government upon my husband sir john being selected as the agent for its perpetration our business being very lucrative we had built a new and much larger distillery than the one we had leased and invested in it many thousand pounds thinking that it would be amply repaid for the outlay by increased trade we called it the franklin distillery in honor of sir john and our prospects were very favorable for acquiring wealth the attention of the home government was called to the fact of the great amount of money being made by the distillers and a commission was immediately sent out from england with full power for the suppression or regulation of the traffic end of chapter three